Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. and welcome to Freedom House. We are so glad that you are in the house today, and we are so glad that all of you are watching online from New Jersey, Texas, South Carolina, Florida, Virginia, New York, Tennessee, D.C., and Pennsylvania. Welcome to Freedom House. Welcome. Well, we have been in a series that I absolutely love I love talking about things that make people squirm in their seats. So we have been all month talking about money, about our finances. And the reason that I love to talk about it is because there's so much misconception and so much misunderstanding. And honestly, I really believe over the last two years, a lot of what we've been doing, uh, to be honest, is correcting bad theology. We've had to course correct a lot of things um, that aren't so accurate and aren't so correct. And we've really, um, as a church, Freedom House is a word church. What does that mean? It means we are going to preach the word of God, whether it's popular, whether it's not popular, whether people like it, whether people don't like it. We will always preach the word of God. And when somebody gets uncomfortable, like if you got uncomfortable because the word politics was said in church then there's an emotional allergy there, and you need to check and see why it's there. Because things that are in the Bible should be discussed in church. If you get an emotional allergy, I know um, every year we do a series on relationships, and we always end up talking about the three-letter word, S-E-X, and people get nervous and start squirming. I'm like, wait a second, the world is talking about this. Why should the church not be talking about this when God is the one that created this? It's because we have a misunderstanding of what the Bible actually has to say. And when we don't understand something, we get nervous, we start squirming, we get confused. That's why I love talking about the subject of money because some of you are squirming right now. You have an emotional allergy because you don't really understand what the Bible has to say about it. And honestly, we should be talking about this because more than any other thing, Jesus talked about money over 2,000 times more than any other thing in the Bible. 
Why would Jesus do that? Because he knew we would get hung up on some things. And he wanted us to get the record set straight. So he gave us lots of detail. So we're going to be digging in deep in that today because in Hosea 4, 6, the Bible is very clear. It says, my people are, perish because of lack of knowledge. So what we're going to do today is I decided we would talk about the elephant in the room. So we're going to go through, and um, my husband and I have been pastoring for almost 30 years, and we're going to go through, and every single thing that I could possibly think of that was a hang-up for people in regards to their money, we're going to go through, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to see what the Word has to say. Now, before I do that, I just want to tell you a story. I remember a few years back, and I know for those of you who are on social media, you probably saw it as well, but there was this big thing going around. It was about this this woman. I guess she was probably in her early 20s, but she decided it would be a really good idea to have a pet python. Don't know why she thought that was a good idea, but she did. Um, I remember one of my husband's fraternity brothers in college also had a pet python. Don't get it. Don't get the whole snake thing as a pet, but regardless. So this girl was constantly posting about her pet snake online. And as the python began to grow, I mean, she thought it was cute that it would wrap all around her and just kind of snuggle around her. She like carried around and she was always posting pictures. It took all this social media traction and it just became like a big thing online. Well, what ended up happening is one day she was like, you know what, I think my snake is really sick because he stopped eating. She said, but he's really cute. He, he started like taking on these like human-like qualities. He would snuggle up to me at night and at times he would even just stretch out and lay beside of me like a human. And she's like, it's so cool and I just love this snake, but I am a little concerned because he stopped eating and I would love to know if anybody online knows anything about that. You know, I'm just trying to figure out why he stopped eating. Well, a snake expert, after it took all this traction, gets online and is like, get rid of the snake immediately. Get rid of the snake And she's like, why? Like, I I love this snake. Like, you know, we're like buddies. He's curling up to me at night. And he said, no, no, no. You don't understand what you're doing. The reason why the snake is stretching out at night is because the snake is sizing you up. And what happens before they get ready to ingest a large meal is they stop eating in anticipation of that meal. So you are cozying up to something and you don't even know what it is that you've allowed yourself to cozy up to. So today what we are going to do is we're going to talk about some of those thoughts that we have cozied up to that aren't good thoughts. And if we aren't careful, what we don't know will in fact hurt us. We don't want to coexist with wrong thoughts. We want to get rid of them. So we're going to address the elephants in the room. And again, if you're squirming, then this message is for you. And I'm glad about that because I don't want you to walk through life cozying up to things and ideals and mindsets that you shouldn't be when it comes to your finances. So let's melt some golden calves today and let's just jump in to the first one. Uh, let's get rid of some faulty thinking, or as I like to say, some stinking thinking. 
Let's get rid of some stinking thinking because God doesn't want us with bad theology. So let me give you the first thing that we have done, we have done wrong um, when it comes to our thinking. We have heard this a lot through the years, that God wants us poor. And okay, well, maybe not necessarily poor, but God wants us just getting by. Because see, that is a sign of humility. I thought what I would do is maybe just give you some scriptures for this first one. Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Psalms 35, 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now that word prosperity means spiritually, physically, financially, and relationally. Nothing missing, nothing broken, every area of your life. You see, here's what I've determined. I'm either going to need a blessing or be a blessing. Which one would you rather be? Because some people think it's better to need a blessing. Let's keep going. Proverbs 22, 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Isaiah 65, just in case you need a few more. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Isaiah 48, 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit who leads you in the way you should go. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Last one, 2 Corinthians 8.9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That right there is the scripture that most people use to say Jesus was poor, therefore you need to be poor. But what they don't understand is they don't understand the scripture. What it's saying is Jesus who had everything in heaven left heaven to come down here to earth and he became poor by leaving that because nothing on earth, these standards compare to what's in heaven. So he left that, he came to earth, he became poor so that you might become rich. Well, what does that word rich right there mean in the Greek? Because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. That word rich right there means plutos, which means riches, wealth, abundance, both materially and spiritually. Now, let me just, let me just explain something else to you while we're on this subject. 
I had a friend, he's a pastor in Wilmington, and he had a, a couple in his church that said, that came to him and said, hey, pastor, we just wanted to let you know, there's like 15 things about the church that we don't like, so we're leaving the church, and we just wanted to let you know. And he's like, well, okay then, thank you for letting me know. And they're driving out to leave, and they roll down their window of their like souped up Denali with you know the real sparkly tires, and they roll the window down. And they said, but by the way, one thing we do like about you, we like the kind of car you drive. Because he had a junker car, because he had his kids, he was putting through college, and he said, as soon as my kids are done through college, I'm getting a brand new car. And his kids were actually getting ready to graduate from college, so he was about to get this brand new car. And he was thinking, well, man, they really weren't gonna like me once I traded in my car and I got a new car. Here's the thing that people have in their minds, and I don't understand it. Somehow, we think it's okay. We want our pastors and our ministry leaders poor. There is nothing in the Bible that says that pastors and ministry leaders should be poor. Should they be integrous? Absolutely. Should they not take what isn't theirs? Absolutely. But should they be blessed? As a matter of fact, they should. The Bible says they should have double honor if they're leading well. It is so amazing to me that people get all caught up in what a pastor is or isn't doing and all of this. And listen, I realize there's some crazy people out there and there's some weird stuff on television and people are saying, hey, send me a splinter, you know, send me your money and I'll send you a splinter from the cross. That's ridiculous. And if you give to that, that's on you. That's on you. But how can I lead you? How can we lead you and tell you that God will bless you? How can we lead a church that's multi-site and not believe in the blessings of God for our own life? It doesn't make sense. So that's why we do things like investment nights, like we just had, because we're like, man, people have in their mind that it's some sort of badge of honor to be poor. It is not. I would rather be a blessing than be needing a blessing. All of us should feel the same way. But some of you would say, but Pastor Penny, you don't understand what the Bible has to say. Number two, money is the root of all evil. Now, let me just correct you and actually read that scripture to you. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the what? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, here's the thing we've got to understand. Money is not good or bad. It is an inanimate object. It cannot do good deeds. It cannot commit crimes. It is neutral. But... It does matter whose hands it's in. Do you understand? So many people think that money is bad. Money is not bad, but who holds it matters. Because many of us can be seduced by the success or the lure of lust that comes with money if money is our God. Here's the thing I want you to understand. God does not care if you have money, but he absolutely cares if money has you. He absolutely cares. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You're going to have to choose. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In other words, don't worry about your money. Focus on me and let me take care of that for you. Now, how do we know if money has a hold of us? It is so simple and so easy. God established a plan for us to know if money had a hold on us. He instituted and established what is called the tithe, T-I-T-H-E. It is a Hebrew word. It's also translated in the Greek. That word literally means one-tenth. In other words, God said, when you get your increase or first fruits, as the Bible calls it, you are to take 10% off the top and give that back to God. Every time you see the number 10 in scripture, it's always associated with a test. Tithing is nothing more than a test to see if you have money or money has you. If you struggle to tithe, money has you. It's so simple the way God instituted it. Tithe literally means one-tenth. Now, I'm going to explain that a little bit more in detail, but that is a way to tell if money has you. God intentionally said, I'm going to institute this, and you won't have to question, you won't have to wonder if money has you. It's very simple. Do you tithe? Now, number three, and I love this one. I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to tithe. You see, I'm going through a hard time, and God will just understand that I have been through difficult things, and uh, he's just going to give me a pass. You know what I think is so funny? I think it's funny because God doesn't change. He expects us to. We don't get to say, well, you know what, God, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in a relationship, and I know you said not to do this in a relationship unless it's a marriage relationship, but I somehow believe that I can twist the word of God around to fit my current situation, so therefore, God, I believe you'll just understand. Do you know how many times we twist the word of God around to fit our situation instead of saying, God, here's my situation. I want to fit it into your word instead. We do that with so many different things in our life. Now, here's the thing I would like to say if you're one of those that would say, and we've heard this through the years, I can't afford to tithe. Chances are you're going through a hard time because you didn't put God first. Or you were a poor steward. Too much debt, you spent more than you brought in. Those are things that, you know, aren't God's fault. They're our poor money management. And we can't say, well, you know, I I can't afford to do this. No, no, no. Let me just tell you what I tell people who say that. You can't afford not to tithe. And let me tell you why. In in Malachi 3, starting in verse 6, I want you to hear this. For I am the Lord, I do not change. I just said that. God doesn't change. We don't get to move things around because we don't like what he said. 
Let, let me just say this for a second. When God tells us not to do things, when he tells us don't have sex outside of marriage, it's not because he's trying to keep us from something good. Okay? My little dog, Snickers, he's here. He's in the back. I brought him with me to church today. He's my little buddy. Now, we, we have a fence around our yard, and we don't have a fence around our yard uh, because I want to keep Snickers from something good. We have a fence around our yard because it's protection to say, listen, there are things that you don't need to be going and getting into, and this fence is to protect you. The fence around the playground is to protect you and to give you boundaries, not to keep something good from you. When we have this mindset that God is always trying to keep something good from us, we're always going to be trying to go beyond the parameters. Always. All right. Let's keep going in in Malachi. It says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, since I don't change, guess who needs to? It's you. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your father, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. Return what? What are you asking us to return says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what shall we return? And then God goes into this. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he lists two separate things. He doesn't just say in tithes. He doesn't just say in money. He says in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring all of the tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse is the church. That there may be food in my house. My house is God's church, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Your washing machine won't break, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Your tires won't wear out on your car, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, God is saying every other time in Scripture, you are told to put up the shield of faith. You are told to use the armor of God. Every other time in scripture, God says, you need to fight the good fight of faith. You need to run with endurance. This is the only time in scripture God says, I will do this for you. If you are obedient, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Not only will I rebuke the devourer, but I will open up the windows of heaven, tithing, and pour you out such a blessing, giving, offerings, that there is not room enough to receive it. Now, let me ask you, should Christians be poor? Why have we bought into this mindset that somehow it's noble to be in lack? Why is that? Or to just be getting by? It's not in the Bible. Let's go on with number four. Number four, if you tithe, you are generous. If I tithe, I am generous. Who, like anybody on the front have a a guy, have a wallet like an old-fashioned, Adam, can I borrow you? Come on up here, Adam. 
Your wife gets excited when we talk about your wallet. Do you hear that? All right, can you, can you stand right here for me? All right, can I, can I borrow your wallet? Thank you. I like this. All right, here's what I want to show you. Back, back in the day when Freedom House started, I used to teach in kids' church. So I love doing object lessons. And I thought because some people don't get it, maybe I could just kick on back to kids' church and do an object lesson. You ready? All right, here's, here's what the Bible is saying. God tests us. Come back over here. You're already getting nervous, aren't you? All right, okay. Adam, this is your heart, okay? This is your heart right here. Okay, did you see it's beating for you, Morgan? So here's what happens. When we don't tithe, our heart is attached here. And what God says is he said, listen, I wanna move in your life and I wanna bless you, but I'm not able to bless you because your heart is attached to the wrong thing. How can I bless you when you have made something an idol? God will never bless an idol. But so many of us are walking around like this, and how do we know we're like this? Look at your checkbook. Is it mortgage, mortgage, private school, car payments, everything else, and God's not even showing up in there? That's problematic. So what happens is God says, listen, I'm instituting something called the tithe. And what the tithe does is it comes in and it breaks the bond between your heart and your wallet. And the reason that it does that is because when you understand it was never yours in the first place, then you aren't holding on so tight. And so what happens when we tithe, a lot of people think, you know, I'm really generous. I give 10%. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the tithe never was ours. That we simply return the tithe. That it never belonged to us in the first place. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. If I were to take this wallet and I were to say to Adam, Adam, you are so faithful and you are such a good friend. I just, I want to bless you. I've, I've got something for you. Here you go, Adam. Like, is that, is that blessing you? I'm giving you back what's already yours. Why, why am I like, woohoo, I'm so generous. I just gave Adam his wallet back. That's not generosity. It's returning what was rightfully his in the first place. Now, if I returned his wallet and I reached into my pocket and gave him $100, is that generous? That's generosity. But returning what already belonged to Adam is not generosity. Thank you, Adam, by the way. That's not generosity. It was never ours to begin with. In Leviticus 27.30, it says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. You can go all through the Bible and see where the tithe was set apart. It was holy. Now, we reference that a lot as it, it refers to our money. But if you're going through the Bible and you understand the way that they exchanged currency was very different. What they would do is if they had a cow, they would take the first calf that it had and they would sacrifice the first calf and give it back to the Lord. Now, what most of us would want to do 
is most of us would say, you know what, God, I don't mind giving you one of the 10 calves, but let me make sure it has 10 first. And then once it has 10, then I'll feel safe and I'll give you one of them. But see, that's not how God works. He said, you give me that one first because I want you to trust me for the other nine that are still to come. In other words, we're showing God we honor him and we trust him. And our heart is not attached to our finances. Our heart is established in God's word. Now, that's the tithe. Now, an offering is something different. An offering is not something we return. That's something we give. And that is up to your discretion. That is actually what Kingdom Builders is all about. It's people who understand over and above giving. They say, listen, we want to help you uh, build these new churches so people can come experience the life change that I have experienced. We want to help you get out in the community. We want to do these things. We're not okay with just giving God back what he told us. Our heart is generous. There is a difference between returning and giving. And in giving, the amount is discretionary. You get to decide how much you give. You don't get to decide how much you tithe. That literally means tenth, but you do get to pick how much you give. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. In other words, don't get mad at somebody else because it looks like they are more blessed than you. Maybe they are giving more. Maybe they're putting more seed into the ground. Don't look at somebody else's life and get angry with them. Maybe we don't know what they're doing. Here's the deal. If we give a thimbleful, we get a thimbleful back. If we bring in the wheelbarrow and dump out the wheelbarrow, guess what? That's what we get back. That is really based on how much seed we want to plant. We return to God what's his, and then we decide. You see, here, here's the thing here at Freedom House. Pastor Troy and I set the vision, and then you guys as the people that attend this church, you get to set the pace of that. We set the vision based upon what the Lord has shown us and given to us, and then we give the vision to you, and it's up to you to set the pace of that vision, not us. You set the pace, and that is what Kingdom Builders is all about. All right, number five, number five. I work really hard for my money. My money belongs to me. My money belongs to me. Let me ask you this. Adam and Eve, who gave them the garden? Who put the very breath in their lungs that allowed them to look after and take care of and enjoy the garden? Who created them? John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whomever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. It has to do with how humble you are. To realize that everything that is put into our hands, we are simply stewards 
That is all we are, is we are just stewards. God told Adam and Eve, you are to steward this garden. You, you know, some people say, well, I, I don't, I don't want to be in, they think that tithing is Old Testament. They say, I don't want to be an Old Testament giver. And I'm like, oh, man, that's great. Be a New Testament giver because in the New Testament, they gave everything they had away. You are welcome to be a New Testament giver. That is completely fine. I love when people say that, but, but honestly, it's not just uh, under the old law, even though it was established in the law. It actually predated the law because in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, he said, every tree of this garden you can freely eat from, except this one, you still have to tend it, work it, but you are not allowed to eat from this. Tithing predates the law. So if we want to get caught up in law, understand you are more than welcome to be a New Testament giver. You can bring the dump truck up to church and unload it. Number six, number six, prosperity is a bad word. You know those prosperity preachers that wear the white suits with the slicked back hair? Prosperity is a bad word and you should not want to be prosperous. You know that whole prosperity gospel thing? Let me explain something to you. Prosperity is not a bad word. It is a Bible word. There are people who have used that word inappropriately and who have uh, said things inappropriately around that word, but it does not make prosperity a bad word. Between my mother and father, there were eight marriages. I did not have a good example of marriage when I was growing up as a child. But does it mean that marriage is a bad thing? Don't y'all say yes. Don't you dare. Some of you, don't you dare. Marriage is still God's highest and best, even though some people messed it up. Do you understand? Don't take something good because somebody else that was a knucklehead and said, hey, I'll give you holy water if you send me $50. Don't, please don't buy into stupid stuff like that. I mean, come on. If we, if we do that, then we deserve whatever it is we get. That's just not even using wisdom, right? But prosperity isn't a bad word. It is a Bible word. Let me show you. 3 John 1, 2, beloved, I pray that you may, what? Prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul. Over 2,000 verses on money, more than faith and prayer combined. Do you think Jesus might want us to understand something? 1 Kings 2, 3, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses that you may, in all that you do and wherever you turn. Job 36, 11, if they listen and serve him, they complete their days in and their years in pleasantness, 2 Chronicles 31, 21. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all of his heart and prospered. 
Psalm 1-3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prosperity is in the gospel. Even though we don't believe in the quote-unquote what the media has put out there as the prosperity gospel, prosperity is in the gospel. Do we understand? All right, all right. Number seven, number seven. I can tithe wherever I want to and how much I want to. Well, I already explained to you the word tithe actually means tenth, so that's not up for negotiation. But your tithe, it doesn't go to the TV preacher. It doesn't go to XYZ, great charity. It doesn't go, you know, to the sweet little missionary down the street. The tithe comes into the storehouse. So there is meat in God's house. And it is up to the storehouse to take that and distribute it as God sees fit. Now, the word tithe doesn't just mean tenth. It means the first tenth. We give him the first because that lets us know where our trust lies. And I think it's so funny, you know, and I did this demonstration one time. But, you know, if I had you over my house and I said, you know, I honor you so much. I really want to have you over for dinner and I can't wait. And I, I set the table up and then I go into the refrigerator and I say, okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve you everything that's been in my refrigerator all month long that's been sitting there, all the stuff I didn't eat, all the leftovers. And I'm, I'm going to give you that because that's what's left. I already took my fill. How do we think God feels when we know that we wouldn't like it if somebody did that to us just for dinner. But yet every month, many of us go, God, I'm going to give you what's left over. I'm going to give you, I got what I need, and now I'm going to give you what's left. God's not all about that. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all of your increase. Number eight, I really, like, I really like this one. I need to know where my money is spent before I give. I want to know. I want to know where my money is going before I give any money. You know what I love about this one? Why didn't you ask? Why didn't you ask? Every year, now I can't tell you about other organizations, but every year here at Freedom House, we put out a financial statement. That lets you see where every dime goes. It's really easy when you look at the salaries and you divide it by the number of people to work here to know that somebody ain't having this big miraculous payday. It's really easy when you sit in multiple buildings and if you are actually going with us on all the outreaches, you know where the money's being spent. So my question is, is if you have a question, why haven't you asked? The financial statements are always available. You see, here's what I learned. It's not really as much about that. It's about control. It's about saying, I want to control. That's why a lot of celebrities start their own charities. It's because they can put money into it, and then they still get to control where everything goes, and they hire all their family members to run the charities, and then they act charitable. There's still this, I want to control everything. You see, when you give to the house of God, 
It is our responsibility to make sure we are good stewards with what is entrusted here. But guess what? After that, it's not on you. And if God needs to clean out the pulpits, let me tell you, I think he's doing a pretty good job of it right now. If things are shady or things aren't going well, God is going to expose that. You don't need to worry about it. God's pretty. The Holy Spirit is a snitch, right? You don't need to worry about that. There is nothing that is covered that will be hidden. Things will be uncovered. So if you are disobeying God for that reason, stop. Because when you get to heaven and you're standing there in front of the Lord and he said, I put these resources in your hands. Why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Well, that last church I went to, I, you know, I just don't think they were, they're not here right now. Let me ask you again. The things that I put into your hand, why didn't you steward those well? Why didn't you do what I asked? But you don't understand that, you know, the last two places I was, stop. They're not with you. It's you and it's the Lord and he's asking you why you didn't do what he asked you to do and you don't get to blame anybody else because they're not there. So what I found is this is often an excuse because at least here at Freedom House, I, I don't know about where you've come from or what church you've been. I don't know all your history. But if you want a statement, ask for one. Or wait till January, whatever the case is. But please don't use that as an excuse to disobey God. Amen. Don't do it. Here's the next one. When I tithe and give, it is wrong to expect anything back. Do you know how many Christians I, I hear say that? That makes absolutely no sense to me. L let me just put this in perspective for you for a second. I have this bowl of oranges right here, right? Would you, could you come and hold this bowl for me? You don't have to come up here, but would you just turn and face this way? Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Can I borrow one of those? Thank you. All right, let me ask you a question. First of all, how many of you know the Bible where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Anybody remember that scripture, John three sixteen? Do we all know that one? Did God give expecting something in return? God so loved the world that he gave because that's why you give because you love. Not because the preacher made you feel guilty or pressured you. Do you understand? You don't give for any other reason except that God loved and you want to reciprocate that. God loved so he gave. Why did he give? So that whosoever, you and me are the whosoevers. So that whosoever might believe. God gave expecting a return. You and me. Can I ask you this? If he's a farmer and I'm a farmer and we plant these seeds in the ground, is it wrong for that farmer to expect a harvest on seed that he has sown? It's such common sense, people. Why is it wrong that if we're putting seed into the ground that we expect 
the harvest back. Because there's wrong thinking. There is wrong thinking. Now, God cares about our motive. Do I want the seed back just so I can eat it? No, because if I eat it all, I don't get to keep sowing it. And, and then I, I shut down my harvest. God doesn't care if you eat some of your seed. But he does care that we're not good stewards. Here's the other thing I want to ask you. Hold, hold this bowl of oranges for me for just a second. Because I... I've heard people say before, I, I, you know, I've tried tithing. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. God is not a respecter of persons. The same thing he does for me, he will do for you. The same thing he does for you, he will do for you. The bowl of oranges that he has right there, not a respecter of persons. Matter of fact, I looked up just one orange one of those oranges has a 100% daily dose of vitamin C. It has fiber, calcium, folate, potassium, fights anemia. It's an anti-inflammatory, and it boosts your immune system. Do you know the problem? The problem isn't that the oranges don't work. If I'm anemic, if I need vitamin C, I can't point to the bowl of oranges and say, you aren't giving me what I need when I've never picked them up and ingested them. Thank you. What happens so many times is we get mad at God and we say, the word doesn't work. The word doesn't work. The word doesn't work. Everything you need is in that bowl. But if you leave it on the table, it will do nothing for you. All of the benefits, everything it entails, will do nothing for you if you don't take it, ingest it, and apply it. Will you stand on your feet with me? Oranges are not a respecter of persons. God is not a respecter of persons. I wanna teach you this principle today because this is something that my husband and I learned early on in our marriage. We learned sowing and reaping. The Bible is very specific about sowing and reaping. So this is what I'm gonna to do today. Every single family that's here, I'm gonna sow something into your life. This is the best book I've ever read on biblical finances. It's called The Blessed Life. It's our series resource. I am going to give this one per family to each of you today. I personally, I asked my husband, he said it was okay. <laughs> I am going to sow this into you. The only thing I would ask you to do, don't leave it on the table. It will do nothing for you if you leave it on the table. So when you leave today, if you want this book, they have it out there. It is my gift to you. I'm sowing into you, but I am sowing into you because I am expecting a return. I'm expecting your life to go up another level. I'm expecting you to hear from God. And when you're done with the book, pass it on to somebody else and let them have their world rock. This is the best book on biblical finances I have ever read. And I want you to have that.
I want to tell you what the Bible has to say about Jesus. God actually said that Jesus was our tithe. The Bible says he was the first fruits of many brethren. What does that mean? It means that God sowed him. God sacrificed him, hoping that you right here, right now in this moment, would say yes to Jesus because of the seed. The Bible calls Jesus the big S seed. I want to give you the opportunity to make the greatest decision of your entire life. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? I wanna ask you right now, if you would like to put Jesus first today, maybe you know he hasn't been first. Maybe you know some other things have been coming in front of him and today you say, you know what? I've gotta get my priorities back in line. I wanna make sure that Jesus is number one in my life. I feel like maybe I've let some other things take that spot. If today you would say, I need Jesus back in the driver's seat, just put your hand up. Just put it up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. Online, if that's you, all you have to do is just click right there. You can click. There's a hand right there and someone is right there to pray with you. Let's just all say this together out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, we ask you right now to come into our life, change our life from top to bottom. We put you first. We want a fresh start. We want a do-over. Make us new, a fresh beginning right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.